0: What's up, you guys? It's your host, Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. Today, I'm here with Taylor. She is our in-house registered dietitian, also my BFF from childhood. She has been on a couple of times before, you guys. You know her. She is amazing. She works as a registered dietitian at a pediatric hospital here in Utah. And today, she and I get into something that's called Failure to Thrive. This is something that I have found super interesting over the years, and she totally breaks it down for us in an easy and understandable way and helps us be a little more educated. So you don't want to miss this. Tune in. I'm back with Taylor, our in-house registered dietitian. What up?
1: Hello.
0: And we are going to talk about something called failure to thrive. It is, like, really interesting and also so confusing, Mm -hmm. and I feel like you don't see it that often, but then, like, when you see it, I want you to be prepared, (laughs) you know? And there are lots of different factors that go into it that I feel can kind of be written off as, like, oh, like, maybe your baby will meet that in a little while, when, like, maybe that attention like, should be on that problem at that moment to, like, figure it out before they really do end up, like, failing to thrive, if that makes sense. That's Mm -hmm. where my brain is taking me. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) we need to know what it is, so hook it up.
1: Okay. So, like I've said on past podcasts I've been on, I work at a children's hospital in the area, and um, we actually get failure to thrive a ton. Really? Yeah. There's an infant unit that gets most of the Failure to Thrive kids that I don't work on at the moment but used to work on, and it would be, like, a daily occurrence to get Failure to that Thrive. That actually surprises me because yeah, I feel like it's
0: not that often. When you but take
1: into consideration that the hospital takes care of, like, four states or something. Yeah, that's fair. It kind of
0: yeah, makes the numbers yeah. seem lower,
1: but it is relatively common. Um, so, basically, Failure to Thrive is, like, Whenever a kid or baby is falling off their growth chart pretty dramatically um, or just not hitting pretty big milestones, obviously all babies and kids hit milestones at semi-different times, um, but for the most part, they should be on a predicted trajectory. And when, okay, a question as a non-mom, when you go to the doctor, do you like see the baby's growth chart? Yes. Okay.
0: That's actually like, – I was just trying to think, like, what triggered my idea for this podcast. Yeah. And it was Louie's growth chart. Oh, really? Because Lou has always been, like, on the more petite side anyway. hmm But um, he's had, like, certain times when he's, like, dipped. And then, like, obviously the next time, like, we've gone back up. So it yeah. hasn't been an issue. But um, it made me wonder, like, oh, I wonder – in comparison on, like, these growth charts when the baby starts, like, being classified as failure to thrive. Yeah. Because at every appointment, they'll check, like, their head circumference, Mm -hmm. their height, and their weight. Yeah. And then, like, they project it on a chart for you, and you can see how they all correlate to each other, what Mm -hmm. percentile they're in, and um, my kids always have huge domes and, like, are tiny. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Ralph, literally. One, (laughs) no, 100th percentile for head, like, 25th for height. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs> he'll grow
0: in tiny. It. He'll yeah, grow into we hope. It. We hope.
1: Yeah, so when a kid comes into the hospital, like one of my main jobs is to look at their growth chart and see what okay. their growth trajectory looks like. Um, and like you were saying, we won't classify. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I do not diagnose failure to thrive. But mm-hmm. a doctor wouldn't classify it as failure to thrive based off of one point. Okay. So a lot of the times when you're looking at a growth chart, it's obviously set up to be this like perfect line to follow and it's never followed perfectly by any kids mm-hmm. it's like very rare when a kid perfectly like follows, follows a line their if line. they follow a line everyone in the dietitian's office is like guys come look at this girl's chart it's so <laughs> beautiful like it's such a treat it makes your job so easy but um this failure to thrive is more so when they're like falling off their growth chart so if they were born at the 30th percentile and a week later they are at the first percentile that would be like a very big cause for concern or if it was um, like a kid was tracking on the 75th percentile and suddenly he comes into a couple appointments and he's dropped to the 50th and then the 25th that would be mm-hmm. a reason to be a little bit more concerned and obviously there are sometimes things that you can point to for why that's happening especially at a hospital like if a kid is sick and has been throwing up and not taking feeds for a couple days. Yeah. All of those things are taken into account. But this is more so when it's like a, something that's a little bit more unexplainable. Um, and so they'll take into consideration weight, height, um, those things more than head circumference. But for the most part, head circumference follows those things pretty closely. Mm-hmm. Or like a weight for length could be used too, if that fell pretty drastically as well. Um, so for the most part, I feel like we see failure to thrive in the hospital in like infants. A lot of times it's like, yeah, which
0: I would like, that's where I associate it with. Yeah. I feel like little babies. Yeah.
1: A lot of times it's like right after birth, like maybe they go home for a few days Mm -hmm. and they're really not doing well, not tolerating feeds or like dropping weight super quickly. Um, and you probably know this, but. It's normal for babies to lose weight the first two weeks yes. of life? Yes, I was okay. just going to say,
0: like, it's very normal for their weight to decrease from birth weight, mm-hmm. and, like, in the hospital, those first two or three days, no matter how long you stay, yeah, you're weighing that baby, like, at least once a day yeah. to make sure they don't drop, like, below 10%. Yeah. And if they drop below 10, then, like, lactation is cued, or, mm-hmm. like, you know, the doctor comes in and has an evaluation with them to see, like, is the feed really not working or, yeah. like, they fortify with formula yeah. or something to, like, make sure the baby is not just going to, like, continue declining if they go home. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, I feel like that also becomes, like, such a anxiety-ridden thing for moms because, mm-hmm. like, it is natural for the baby to lose weight. Yeah. It's just making sure they're not losing too much. Yeah. You know? And
1: the goal we look for is um, regaining birth weight by two weeks two of weeks life. Yeah. yeah so once they're there it's like it's very normal to drop and then come back up mm-hmm. um i don't know why i went on that tangent but <laughs> oh, you were saying like babies yeah, yeah. yeah so it usually happens in like really young infants and it's normal to lose a little bit of weight but it's not normal to lose a lot of weight obviously um so yeah i feel like right after birth or like a couple months old is when we start seeing it obviously when they've had more time to show that they're not doing very well mm-hmm. um and usually what happens is, like, a baby's at a checkup or an appointment or, like, if they're reaching out to other specialties to get help. Like, for example, we had a baby, um, no, this was, like, a, more of, like, a toddler, actually, who came in one time who had been at a GI appointment because they thought mm-hmm. it was, like, a GI issue. Okay, yeah. And GI sent them into the hospital to do a failure-to-thrive workup. Okay. Okay. So for the most part, I feel like it's, they see it in the outside, like, um, I can't think of the word. Like a clinic setting? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? I just lost my train of thought, sorry. Um, it's been, been a long, a long day. day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like an outpatient setting. Okay, and then yeah. the provider will just refer them inpatient. Okay. And reason the reason for that is... When they come into the hospital with a failure to thrive sort of, like, question, we will just have a full team do a workup on them, (laughs) Um, and basically what we're looking for is for families to, like, imitate what they're doing at home so we can see if there's any kind of, like, blaring red flags, and so they'll just come to the hospital, we'll have them feed their baby, parents feed the baby, um, and do it as they normally would, like, we'll have them show us how they're mixing formula. We have them, if they're breastfeeding, we have the baby breastfeed when the mom normally does it at home. And obviously doctors are involved. If, um, the child's starting to show some like physical, um, developmental delays, like missing milestones and stuff, like Mm -hmm. maybe not learning to walk or not learning to roll or crawl when they're expected to, uh, physical therapy will get involved. Um, speech therapy, obviously, will get involved, especially if, um, like, the baby's eating normally and still something's going wrong, or yeah. if there's, I was just telling Anna right before we started that we had a baby come in this week who was breastfeeding on one breast for an hour, which obviously, I mean, I'm not a mom, but long time. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that's eight hours a day of feeding, which...
0: I mean crazy and I'm like what, also so only much, on one side yeah
1: like, it's a oof. lot so um speech therapy will get involved and then um lactation obviously so anything like that and then nursing is very involved in seeing how the family sort of does their like normal day-to-day okay
0: and of so like a socio yeah
1: kind of. so that's kind of how things get started with failure to thrive and how it would be diagnosed i don't like want it to be something that people worry about even though it is pretty common because it's something that's caught pretty easily like it's a pretty glaring like oh this needs attention it's not like it goes like really long time totally totally because
0: like yeah i agree where i'm like i feel like if your child all of a sudden was like obviously not thriving you'd be Mm -hmm. like okay something's up. yeah and you, you can tell when mean? a
1: baby especially a baby that small like loses weight or yeah. isn't eating normally or things like that so yeah.
0: um which like I was thinking just barely and this might be a dumb question but with like missing milestones like mm-hmm. the rolling over or the walking like do they think it's tied to like a lack of energy or a like lot a of lack the time of it's,
1: yeah a lot of the time okay. it's tied to like lack of muscle building because yeah, they're I'm not like, eating enough
0: I think of like Ralph doing tummy time, mm-hmm. and I'm like, bro, that's hard work, for yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you had not had the energy to do that, like, yeah. you'd probably just lay there, like, a, totally. I don't know. <laughs> so,
1: it's either, like, they don't have the energy, or, um, like, this toddler that came in was not able to walk at, like, 20 months, mm-hmm. which is obviously pretty concerning, yeah. and a lot of it had to do with, like, muscle development and things like that. Okay. And so like, a lack of protein stores, a lack of intake. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a combination of all those things. Yeah. And sometimes that, too, can present in, like, a mental or social way as well. Mm -hmm. Like, if they're mentally missing some milestones because they're not getting enough energy, that can also be something that they look for. So, anyway, um, there's definitely multiple things that sort of signal that the baby needs, needs a little bit more attention. And then they'll just do a failure-to-thrive workup, which sounds really intense. When I – I feel like when I say, like, yeah, like failure a failure-to-thrive workup, are going to check you in. But literally, you, they come in, the parents and with the baby, like and they kind of just, like, live their life. yeah. Mm. And then usually we try one thing at a time. So instead okay. of being like, okay, let's switch the formula and let's have them switch the bottle they're using and let's have them fortify their feeds – It's like we do one thing at a time, Mm -hmm. and so we give families a chance to show us what's going on, and then we sort of start with what we think it possibly is, and then go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess, too, before, I guess we're already pretty into it, but (laughs) one other thing to consider or know is that there's two types of failure to thrive. So the first one's organic failure to thrive, which stems, it's basically failure to thrive as a result of something of an underlying condition going on.
0: Okay, like and a so, medical diagnosis. Yeah, so okay.
1: like a metabolic thing that's going on or some type of like absorption issue like cystic fibrosis or something like that where okay. it's not like the kid is failing to thrive because um, parents are doing something incorrect necessarily but because something medically is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so there's that one type of failure to thrive, which is the less common thing. Um, of failure to thrive and then non-organic failure to thrive is a lot more common i i was trying to remember the exact number but i think it's like 80 percent of cases are okay non-organic which is more so what i'm talking about obviously yeah if your child has a different condition that goes a different route um and non-organic is way more of the inadequate food intake or something environmental is going on that's um not quite working or like a Incorrect feeding technique. Um, a lot of times, honestly, it's... if Especially if it's a new baby. Sometimes it's like parents are so stressed out. And they do not know how to take care mm-hmm. of the baby right now. Mm-hmm. And they have to come in and get, like, some more education. Yeah. Um, and so, like, health literacy is a big thing. Language barrier can be a big thing. And, like, poverty level families can be a really big thing. Mm-hmm. I, it's honestly really sad because I think a lot of families that come in just didn't get the education or support that they needed Mm -hmm. when they had the baby Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time it's with like first children like their first go around not always but a lot of the time but that's like
0: so invaluable to like say because I feel like so many times as like the nurse you may be dealing with a patient who doesn't speak your same like Mm -hmm. primary language Mm -hmm. and like it's a pain to find a translator yeah or like the iPad that works as the translator, like, isn't working. Yeah. And, like, you can kind of make do with it just being, like, oh, I'm just going to do this. Mm -hmm. And, like, they just kind of nod. And, you know what I mean? Like, there really is that language barrier. And I feel like more often than not, sadly, you kind of just make do without, like, real education, like, communication happening. Yeah. And so I think of, like, these poor parents that really are like starting their lives with these new babies who are receiving education in a language that is not their primary language yeah. mm-hmm. and like unless you're jumping through hoops to try and make sure they're communicated with in their primary language like of course there's going to be things that are missed totally and like to think that the lack of education on like the healthcare side is like possibly what's leading to these children eventually maybe failing to thrive in yeah. the beginning of life like is really sad yeah <laughs> I'm like oh my gosh I never am gonna do that again yeah yeah
1: it's it really is um it makes you kind of rethink how you go about talking to these families and stuff I never deal with the families right after they have the baby but um it does make you kind of reconsider those things because those things make a really big difference and like what your podcast is after like helping people have more education before the fact and not kind of having mm-hmm. to learn it as you go mm-hmm. Like, I I was actually thinking the other day because I don't have any kids. And when I started working at the children's hospital and learned how to, like, teach moms how to mix formula or, like, how frequently babies should be eating and how much they should be eating based off how old they are and all these things, I was like, if I had had a child, which it wouldn't be crazy, I'm 26, like, if I had a kid and I did not work here... I mean, maybe someone would give me a heads up, and I'm sure I would, like, read books and put a little more work in (laughs) But, like, I think we sometimes assume people just know what to do. Totally. And just, like, know exactly how to go about it, and that's just not the case, and it's a little bit more, especially if you're not breastfeeding, it's a little bit more technical than people give it credit for.
0: Especially the formula thing, because, Mm -hmm. like, if someone is formula feeding at the hospital, we don't give them like a can of formula and water to mix themselves. Yeah. Like we give them a pre-mixed bottle yeah. and like nipples, and they just like feed the baby from that. Totally. So I'm like, then they go home, and they have to know how to mix their own bottles. Yeah, which like can seem like a very simple task, but at the same time, like you could yeah. do it backwards, and it completely changes the caloric value of mm-hmm. like the food you're giving the baby.
1: Yeah, and honestly, you have to do. There's like math involved in that, mm-hmm. and if somebody struggles with math or just doesn't have the health literacy that we tend to assume that everybody has, Mm -hmm. um, it can be a very bad situation. I, like, have seen so many moms mix bottles incorrectly and start with formula and then add water, and that obviously makes the um, caloric density different. Or we've seen, like I've seen before, moms or families who are um, struggling money-wise and who will... Do like six ounces of water and one scoop of formula, mm-hmm. which is basically not giving their baby any calories. Yeah. But they can't. They just maybe like to afford. The formula yeah, they can't yeah. afford to get more formula, or they don't know about Wick, or they don't know where they can get more formula and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, it's like a whole array of things that can happen. Um, yeah. And so, when they first come in, it's kind of a guessing game. It's like, okay, um, we kind of have to say, like, okay, what environmentally is going on, and if everything looks correct, obviously there's more to look at, but for the most part, sometimes it's just re-educating, like, okay, you know, newborns should feed every two to three hours. I was telling Anna before this started, we, I had one baby come in, and parents um, just said, oh, yeah, like, they sleep through the night, and they were a newborn, and I was like, ooh, they, like, should not be sleeping, not through, not be the sleeping through the night, but if they're not getting fed enough, they don't really have the energy to, yeah, tell to wake that up. They, yeah. yeah, need more food, which so. is like
0: a common thing too. Like in those first forty-eight hours, your nurse will sometimes come in and be like, "You need to feed the baby." Mm-hmm. And parents are like, "No, they're sleeping. Like it's not a big deal." And it's like, "No, they're sleeping because they don't have the energy to be awake yes. because they haven't eaten." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's this whole chain of events that like. You don't really even know exist because yeah. you're like, oh, they're sleeping, they're tired. Like I wake when I'm hungry, mm-hmm. so like, you know,
1: yeah, you don't well, associate it really. I think too, like with newborns, especially, you really heavily rely on like the type of um, like reactions that they give you. Yeah, they're cute. Like, totally. yeah. So if they cry, you're like, okay, oh, do they, they need to, need to eat? A Diaper change? Yeah. Do they need to eat? And sometimes that you need to know a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really looked over because it's like, okay, just respond to whatever they're telling you yeah and sometimes that just gets like missed or skipped over a little bit Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. um yeah so those are like I mean the most common types of things that we see or like the reasons that kids are there for the most part and usually it's like correcting what's going wrong maybe like reteaching how to mix formula or sometimes we have to switch formula or occasionally we'll test um the mom's breast milk to see what the caloric density is. For the most part, the standard is, like, 20 calories per ounce, and usually it's that or higher. So okay. that's not ever, like, too big of a concern. That's pretty, from what I've seen, pretty rare for a mom to have, like, low mm-hmm. um, calorie formula. Or, sorry, calorie Press breast up. milk. Um, and so... I will say, though, and
0: totally sharing my sister's information. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But when she was feeding her very first child, she like really wanted to breastfeed, and she just like she found out later on she now has like a couple kids, but her breast milk just is like water. Like, oh, really? It's, it does not have enough fat in it. Like yeah. it just he did not thrive at all. Like mm-hmm. he was five or six months and still just like tiny. And ended Whoa. up switching to formula, and like obviously he thrived after that. Yeah. But. Like, they didn't really pin it down at first because they were like, he's eating fine, he's mm-hmm. eating regularly, like, what could be happening? Yeah. But then, like, she has pictures of her breast milk, and, like, compared to, I don't know, like, a bottle of a breast milk that I've pumped, maybe, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like, it looks like oh, water. Interesting. Yeah. Which, like, oh she just doesn't produce, yeah. which is yeah. probably really unique because I don't think that happens that often, truthfully. Yeah. Really.
1: I mean, I think it's more rare, but it still does But happen. it happens. Yeah. yeah. It was wild. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that, yeah, but I had no idea they could test that. I was blown away when I learned that. I was like, whoa. Um, And so, yeah, and then I think other times, you know, like lactation will get involved if maybe there's, like, something missing as far as, like, how the baby's breastfeeding or length of time the baby's breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially with formula, there's confusion on how much the baby should have, how frequently, because obviously Mm -hmm. with breastfeeding, it's a little bit more, like, you can tell, I guess, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And it's not so much of a math game. Yeah. It's more of just going with what the baby's telling you. So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, there are situations where these kids have to come into the hospital two, three times to do another failure to thrive workup and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I feel like after the first time, um, if we can kind of, like, catch what the issue is, they'll grow really well in the hospital we give them, like, a few days to get there, and then they check out, and we have them do follow-up and stuff. But it's never never too crazy. So definitely not something to be, like, scared of, but something to be... Overwhelmingly worried Yeah, something to just be aware of and know that that's totally something that happens.
0: Okay, so we've covered a lot of the details of what, like, failure to thrive is. But let's say, like, you're a mom, and you're concerned that your baby may... Have failure to thrive. Like, what would your steps be?
1: So yeah, like we talked about, I feel like if you are going to your checkups, doing your normal thing, and just being on top of things like that, that's exactly what you should be doing. And the health professional should kind of notice something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, outside of that, I feel like if you feel like your baby is struggling with feeds, that's something to mention to your pediatrician. Um, there's always dietitians at and speech. Pathologists And there's like feeding clinics at a lot of children's hospitals where you like if you need further help, you can go there and they can do more assessments. And sometimes that's where kids will go before they come in for failure to thrive, because sometimes it's a really simple fix where you mm-hmm. can just do it outpatient and it's no big deal. Um, so I think just staying on top of those things. And I think just like exactly what like we were saying, like doing what you've always done in your checkups and stuff and it's kind of nice because like it's not your responsibility to find it like it's Mm -hmm. the health professional's responsibility to find it and sometimes it's such a simple fix like we fortify feeds or we add one more feed into the day or um, we like adjust how they're eating and then it's all done from there so yeah
0: well you guys i hope that today you can walk away feeling like you know a little bit more about the signs and symptoms of failure to thrive how it may be diagnosed and treated, and most of all, with some peace of mind knowing that this is a very manageable diagnosis. You heard from the stories Taylor told us that this is something that really, it just kind of takes some time to figure out the pieces of the puzzle that fit together, and then you can pretty much expect to walk away, you know, thriving in the end. If you or someone you know has a child that has experienced failure to thrive, I would love for you to reach out and come share your story. There's so much to be said for being educated, especially by a professional such as Taylor, but I also think we learn so much through personal experience that is invaluable and is something that really resonates with those who may be going through something that you've gone through. So please consider it. If you're not already, follow along on Instagram at undereducated.pod and catch us here next week for another episode.